Imagine a football platform where the world's best writers give you the real story about what's going on at United. Imagine no pop-up ads, no clickbait headlines and no ridiculous rumours to be let down by anymore. You don't have to imagine anymore. Meet The Athletic. No ads, no nonsense, just football. Visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand to start your 30-day free trial and get 50% off your annual subscription. The Athletic, the new home of football. The 15th of May, the 29th anniversary of Rotterdam and Manchester United winning the Winners' Cup against Barcelona. I'm delighted to welcome our special guest today. He's 15th on the all-time Manchester United appearance chart with 467 games. That's one place below George Best and just above Brian Robson and Michael Carrick. And with 163 goals in two spells at the club from 1983 to 1995, he's ninth on the all-time top scorer list, just above Paul Scholes and Ruud van Nistelrooy. Mark Hughes, welcome to United We Stands podcast. Hi, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, how are you? How's life in lockdown? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, obviously, we've had the restrictions lifted to a certain extent, so I've been able to get on a golf course, so that was a little bit of a relief. So, uh I had eight holes the other day. So, uh, yeah, it's been okay. It's been difficult at times, but uh, unfortunately here I've got a big enough garden to keep me occupied. So uh, there's always plenty to do. I've got 25 years of, of rubbish in this house, which uh, needs clearing out because I, I was supposed to be moving uh, <laughs> last month, but it didn't happen, obviously. So uh, um, we're just going through all the, all the stuff we got here and stuff that's staying and stuff that's getting skipping. Are you still in the north of England? Yeah, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still in uh, in Cheshire. Been here okay, for, so. well, we're in the same house we were just prior to, to me leaving United, actually. So 25 years worth of stuff, that probably rules out any memorabilia from from Rotterdam. Today's the anniversary of that game. Do you remember it clearly, or is it just another game you played 600? What can you remember about that night? No, everybody who was there or who played a part... Whether it be a fan or or support staff, management, or, or obviously the players, we all remember that night. It was a, a special occasion. It was off the back of obviously that we were the first ones back after the the high school ban. So I think we all felt a certain responsibility to to English football to to give a good account of ourselves. So we so we had that. A little bit of extra pressure, I think, but uh, I think that helped us because as we progressed in the competition, we just sensed that we we need, really needed to make our mark uh, in Europe again, and, and I think that helped us in the latter stages certainly. So, uh, yeah, I think the night itself. The the one thing I, I remember was just getting to the stadium. Obviously, a bit big build up to the game, but once once you're on the bus and you, you're travelling, then that's when your focus comes really to the fore. And uh, we, we all commented, all lads on the bus, when we got to the, the ground, we just saw United fans everywhere. We we didn't see any Barcelona fans anywhere. They, I mean, United fans were hanging off railings over roads and all leading up from about three miles out. And when we got to the stadium, it was just absolutely rammed with, with red. So uh, uh, I think the only time we... Well, the first time we, we saw you... Barcelona fans was actually when we were lining up for the kickoff because up to that point we we hadn't seen anybody but just just Reds everywhere. So uh, that was great from our point of view. We we felt fully supported. We knew we'd we'd have a great following as we always did, and uh, 
that was going to help us. There was 25,000 tickets sold and there was a lot of nervousness. As you say, it was the first time English clubs were allowed back into Europe. 14,000 tickets were sold from the Barcelona section. And you mentioned the run there. It, it was quite a gentle run, all things considered. Pexi Bunkus in Hungary. And then the second game, Wrexham, your hometown. What was that like for yeah. you? Were all your mates getting in touch with you, asking you for tickets? Yeah, they were. Unfortunately, I missed the, from memory, I missed the first leg at the race course because uh, I'd got injured. Um, I think it was in a couple of weeks before um, the Liverpool game, I think, off the top of my head. I'd gone over on my ankle. And uh, I remember before the, the game, we, we were in a hotel just a couple of miles from the ground and... Uh, we actually went on a, a little patch of ground outside the, the the hotel, which would be laughable in these, this day and age. But it was a, it was probably just a recreational ground with a couple of swings and a, a hobby horse in the corner. And we we just had this patch of ground. We were doing a little pretty much warm up, and uh, I was desperate to pray, obviously. But uh, I started running around, and there was no way I was ready. So unfortunately, I had to miss the first first leg. But uh, um, but we got the job done really over there. Um, I think uh, was it two 0 You'll have to remind me. It was a long time ago. But uh, uh, the home leg, obviously, we we finished them off. I was able to play in that one. So yeah, it was always nice to go back. I've been there a number of times with with the Welsh squad. So it was always great going back to Wrexham. You'd scored probably, arguably, your greatest ever goal for Wales against Spain. That was at the race course, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, funny enough, uh, Welsh TV um, were rerunning notable games from Welsh Welsh football, and they played it last week. It was the first time I'd seen it actually since since the game. I'd, I'd obviously seen the goal numerous occasions, but I haven't actually seen uh, seen that goal uh, game in its entirety. So they played that one, and uh, and they played. Uh, the Wales England game as well, which was my debut, so uh, I was able to score in both of them. The the goal against Spain probably got me a move to Barcelona, if truth be known. So I don't think too many people knew me up to that point in Spain, but uh, obviously, but that put my name on the map. The games against Wrexham, it was three 0 at Old Trafford and then two 0 at the Racecourse with uh, Steve Bruce. I think he scored seventeen goals that season, and and uh, and, and Mark Robbins, and then Montpellier. That was a really Eagerly anticipated game uh, in the quarterfinals. Um, the first leg at Old Trafford, one all. Remember Sir Alex Ferguson saying, "You surprised how physical the French side were." They had Carlos Valderrama, and then United went away for the second leg, having drawn one all and won two nil. And it's it remains one of the the, the great modern day games. Your compatriot Clayton Blackmore scoring. Yeah, the first leg was. Arguably, the tie itself was it was the hardest on the route to to the final. The, the, they were, as you said, they were very physical. They were good athletes. They could get round the pitch, and uh, I just think they came with the attitude they were going to try and do a little bit of a job on us and not give us any space or time. And in fairness to them, they they did what they set out to do. Um, I think um, it was difficult to get in the game. I think there was a turning point. Obviously. Uh, um, one of their guys got sent off, I think, making a challenge on me. Um, I probably made a meal of it. I went down a little bit easy to make sure he went off, but uh, um, that probably turned it in in our direction a little bit. I, I know for the second leg, I, I was getting dogs abuse from uh, from their fans because uh, they reckoned that 
I'd faked it, but uh, the the guy that did it was was getting away with murder anyway, so he need he needed to go. <laughs> He was called Pascal Bailes. I've not heard of him before, but no. he, he was playing in a defence alongside one Lauren Blanc. He was playing for Montpellier. Oh, right, was he? I didn't realise yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And then to go there away and win 2-0, but Clayton's goal was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, Clayton, Clayton would pop up uh, now and again with, with goals. He always had a fantastic strike on on him, Clayton, right through, like I came through the Welsh schoolboys with, with Clayton from under-15 level right through to, to United playing in the first team and uh, right through his his early years as a schoolboy, he was always whacking things in from 25 yards or whatever and uh, um, he always had that capability and uh, produced on, on the night. Um, he, uh, he didn't score as many in the first team because obviously he wasn't a regular after after this year but... Um, in fairness to him, when he when he did pop up with goals, he was usually quite special. I did an interview with him for a book I did on United in the eighties, and it, it lasted five hours. And at the end of it, he just said, "I've never told my parents that I love them, and I'm going to tell them now." It was it was really reflective about growing up yeah. in Neath and his time, and it was yeah. it, it surprised me actually because it was uh, very very interesting. Yeah, well, I'm very close to Clay, and obviously we came through the schoolboys, and uh, we still play golf regularly as. Uh, as we are at this stage in our career. So uh, um, lost touch a little bit, obviously, because I, I was in management and I was down south or wherever, but uh, I've seen a lot more of each other just lately. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's very proud of his Welsh roots, as as I am, obviously, and uh, we, we do reminisce. He, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of every single game that he ever played from, from the age of about 10, which is probably why your interview lasted so long. Mine, mine <laughs> isn't as good, so this interview won't be five hours, I can no, trust you. We've already put a few minutes aside. Yeah. Did he tell you that David May had rang him up and said they've invented a new golf driver, which means you can hit it for an extra 20 yards, and Clayton completely believed it and tried yeah. to buy one. And he's just Because <laughs> he, he's really into golf. I think he, he's probably the best golfer. I think he plays off a three or a two, I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah, he's a golf well, obsessive. I make sure he plays off scratch when he plays me. So uh, he's he's struggling to beat me at the moment. I'm off twelve. So uh, yeah, he, he loves his golf. Always has done. I think uh, the football got away in the way of his golf <laughs> the majority <laughs> of his career, if we're honest. But uh, now he's still hitting the ball well. So the semi-finals led to Warsaw. Um, United went away to Poland in the first leg and, and won won three one. Um, you scored. Brian McLeish scored. Um, Steve Bruce scored and that was after Ledger had, had gone one up was that quite a, a, a forgiving game for a semi-final? Um, yeah I think we got the best of the draw I think I think Barcelona had Juventus in, in the other one so we, we, we got the best best side of the draw so uh, we went over there it was it wasn't a, a great ground if we're honest the pitch wasn't as good as they are in this day and age um, as you would imagine but uh, Apart from the going behind it, the game itself, from recollection, it was pretty straightforward. I think once we go on level terms, we always felt that we had enough in us to to go and and win the game. So, uh, yeah, for for a semi final, it didn't quite have that intensity that you, you expected. Um, I, I, I felt they would have put up a, a more stern test. Certainly, uh, it wasn't anything like as hard as the Montpellier tie. So uh, we were pleased to get through it, obviously. 
There was only 6,600 at that game in Poland. I mean, it's incredible to think a semi-final. And I wasn't aware this week that Barcelona had played Juventus in the semis because I've written about this Rotterdam a lot, but always from a United perspective. And this week I spoke to some of the Barca players and I spoke to Eusebio and he said the game in Juventus was incredible because the last few minutes we were hanging on to go through and they got there and they got through to United and... In, in the final and they just won the league for the first time after Real Madrid had won five consecutive titles they had a cracking side they'd win the European Cup a year later it was the team which would be known as the dream team under Johan Cruyff and he said we, we went to Rotterdam and we just didn't we didn't perform we had injuries Zubi Zaretta uh, was out Koeman mm-hmm. wasn't 100% fit um, but they still had Michael Laudrup. They they had top top players. You of course had played there. You'd lived there, and you played yeah. with lads, if I'm not mistaken, like Alex Anko. Um, yeah. Which of the lads did you know? Was you saying hello to any of them? And did you feel you had a point to prove after a year in Spain? Um, well, I think uh, at the time there was certainly after the game because obviously I'd, I'd scored in the final, and and I think the. The guys in the media were trying to get an angle that it was revenge, and and I was happy to obviously show them what I could do clearly. But uh, it was never a case that I was I was bitter about my experience over there. I always felt it was an opportunity that really, if I'm honest with myself, I didn't really make the boat best of, and mm. um, I should have. I think when you go abroad as a player, certainly um, if it's if I can give any advice to any young players who get the opportunity in the future, is that you've got to go with the intention that you're going to stay there for as long as you can. Whereas I went with the intention of maybe lasting two years and then coming back, which was how it panned out. But uh, on reflection, it was a great opportunity, a great stage to play your football. But um, at that time, I was probably a little bit immature and didn't realise the opportunity that presented itself. So in, in terms of revenge or get my own back there was never that in my mind really I just wanted to show them and and maybe it was an opportunity for me to show them that actually I was a little bit better than I was able to show them when I was physically a Barcelona player so I'd like to think I did that I'm in I'm in Barcelona now I'm, I'm from Manchester but I've divided my time between Barcelona and Manchester for the last 20 years what what did you what did you do wrong then when you went there was it a language thing did you did you not what if what if you, if you did it again what would you do wasn't any number of things I think the, the sport for, for players at that time was nothing like the sport for players now in, in mm. terms of uh, goodness me this whole department's allocated to play liaison and player care and there was absolutely nothing of that ilk um, in place at Barcelona. It was a lot better at Bayern Munich, I have to say, when I went there. They, I think that was as a consequence that they had former players in, in key positions, like Uli Hunis was in charge, obviously being a top player himself. So I think they understood the needs of a player better. But in that day and age, um, there was nothing in place. Uh, I had to find my own house. I had to find a car. I was... I was struggling with the language. It was a different way of life as well. They were having siestas, which wasn't a problem because I quite liked to kip in the afternoon. <laughs> so uh, I didn't mind that part of it. But um, the football itself was was more technical, uh, less physical. And obviously every United fan will understand how I used to play if they saw me. That was quite aggressive to say the least. So I went over to Spain and 
And I think that aggression in my in my play obviously went against me. Their games were refereed differently as well. They were they, they were obviously jumping on that aggression in, in my play. And in the end, towards the end of my time there, I wasn't really playing as I knew I could because I, I was restricted in terms of how I wanted to make my impression on the game. Um, and I think those things, along with all the things off the park, I wasn't particularly happy off the park. I was living there on my own for the for the most part. My, my wife, who um, I'd only just met just prior, uh, I think about a month before I actually left to go to Barcelona, uh, was coming back into maybe every week in in every month so that wasn't ideal for me so uh, there was a lot of things off the park those things weren't quite right that allow you as a player on the park to perform so uh, looking back it was uh, it was an opportunity missed and then you went to Bayern Munich I mean you you played for great clubs and of course you you also played after you left um, United you were at Chelsea Southampton Everton Blackburn managed Wales, Blackburn, Manchester City, Fulham, QPR, Stoke and, and Southampton. But if United fans had to pick out one moment, it would be Rotterdam. So you, you go into the stadium, the fans are everywhere, it's lashing down in rain, you've got a one-off white kit which is produced for that match. Fans were singing Sit Down by James, they were singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. That was the the anthem at the time and were you blown away by the support when you went into the ground and you looked around and two-thirds of it was, was United fans? Yeah, the Reds were everywhere, as I said. It was, uh, you're right mentioning the weather because uh, I do remember that. I've actually got a picture of the, the two teams lining up and it's all murky and misty and I think there's probably smoke from the fans as well mixed with the drizzle and uh and this, the picture is of me just looking across. And I always remember this moment. I, I actually looked across to, to the Barcelona team just as they came out. And it just started to rain uh, again at that point. And uh, I looked across and I could see, see a few of them shivering and trying to keep warm, rubbing their arms. And I thought, here we go. I don't think these this lot fancy it. So uh, that, that encouraged me to, to think, well, we're going we're gonna to have a good day tonight. Eusebio did say that. He said, we just weren't as up for it as Manchester. He said that no. they, they had the consistency, they had experienced players and they were just more up for it than they were. And I think I think that showed. Let's talk in the end now um, about you. You scored both the goals in that final. United were the much better team in, in the first half, but it was still nil-nil at half-time yeah. until you put the team ahead after... 67 minutes I, I wrote this at the time as a let's see now um, you're fouled on the edge of the box Brian Robson floated in a free kick Steve Bruce rose to head the ball goalwards and Hughes was left with the simple task of bundling the ball over the line seven minutes later Hughes latched onto a, a through ball again from Robson rounded the keeper Busquets and he's the father of Sergio Busquets actually That's right, yeah. and drilled the ball into the back of the net from a tight angle to make it 2-0 and Ferguson said the goalkeeper was again off picking daisies somewhere two goals up with 15 minutes left surely the cup was ours and I watched the goal again and on that second one which is from a really tight angle both your feet are off the ground and I'm told that Brian Moore on TV back in the UK said he's, he's touched it too far there how, what can you remember about that second goal? The second goal, I think uh, from memory, I think Rob had just played it through and I just broke 
the back line I was running forward and all of a sudden I'm aware that the goalkeeper's run out to me uh, he's, allowed, he's about 25-30 yards outside of his goal I'm thinking what the hell is he doing so uh, so I skipped past him and in fairness to me he forced me out wide but from my point of view at the time I'm thinking well I'm past the last man I've got an empty net all I have to do is just put in the goal um, and funny enough for whatever reason talk about fate or or inspiration or whatever but I was in that wide angle and whether I was because at that time I was I was playing with confidence so I was happy enough with the skill of hitting the ball firmly but I, I just decided to to really whack it from that tight handle rather than just rolling the ball in and, and it's a good job I did because on reflection if you look at the tape again if I hadn't have hit it as hard as I did there was two guys busting a gut trying to trying to get back to the line past the goalkeeper to, to clear it so if, it, if I hadn't hit it as hard as as I did, it wouldn't have gone, wouldn't have gone in. It probably would have been cleared. So um, why, at that moment, I decided to really smash it? Because you're right. I've, I've got another picture. I'm just looking at it now in my in my room here with, with me with my two feet off the ground. You're right. So uh, yeah, I don't know why I hit it so hard, but thank God I did. And and Bushgetz was the the standing goalkeeper, and mm. he was like the social convener of that team. And he was a real character. He was from a really rough area. And the Barca player said at the time, "If any of us had our car radio stolen, which I suppose shows the age when people would get car radio stolen, yeah. we'd go to him to get it back because he knew every right. bad person in Barcelona." <laughs> and then obviously, his son's become a world class uh, player as yeah. well. Yeah. And there was a late scare when Ronald Koeman bent a free kick over United's wall. So it was 2-1 after 79 minutes. And then Barca pressed for an equaliser. Um, there was a, a little worry about the fitness of Les Seeley because he'd not yeah. trained before the final. Yeah. And then um, Clayton Blackmore, again, he kicked a shot from Michael Laudrup off the, off line, the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sir Alex said it was Clayton's finest moment in a red jersey. As long <laughs> as there is Manchester United, that rescue act will be remembered. Yeah, and Cl- right. Clayton, Clayton said, Brucey lost the ball and he still thanks me. I was just there <laughs> on the line. Yeah. No, that's right. Well, I remember that Les Seeley, God rest his soul, the, uh, if I'm honest, I don't think he, he should have played because <laughs> he, yeah. he could hardly walk. He, he'd, he'd sliced it, I think, in the, the League Cup final, I think. And yeah. it, was, it was a hell of a gash he had. And uh, I think he collapsed in the dressing room after because... Uh, Infection went straight into his knee, and he was blown up, and and he was all over the shop. And uh, the final wasn't uh, too long after that, and uh, he was hobbling around. And I'm thinking he's he's not right, but it, Les being Les, he was never going to miss a European final. He just loved every minute of being a uh, Manchester United player, so he wanted to experience everything. So uh, as the game wore on, you could see that it was hurting him even more. It was he was like deteriorating, and uh, and I think. Probably uh, on another day, if he was fit, well, he might have got somewhere near uh, Ronald Koeman's uh, effort. But uh, yeah, we would from that point. I, I think the vast majority of us, we were just trying to protect uh, Les and try and keep any efforts away from him because we felt he was struggling at that point. And thankfully, Clayton, in the key moment, was able to to look after him and look after the the result as well. Lee Sharp said he was extremely nervous. He was twenty years old. He'd heard Ronald Koeman talking about him pre-match and he thought, and he actually said, shit, I'm 20, how does he even know who I am? But Lee had, <laughs> Lee had, had a really good season. He'd just been yeah. 
made the young young player of the year, but he said he started the game very nervously until Brian Robson just pulled him to one side seven or eight minutes in and said, just calm down and do what you do best. Was there a nervousness or, or a confidence? Um, no, I think um, players have different reactions to, to the same situation. I think, uh, um, obviously, Lee being a young player at that point um, in his career, didn't probably have the experience to, to lean back on. And obviously, Robbo stepping in to give him his experience probably helped him in that regard. Uh, from my point of view, I was I was older, uh, played in finals, and um, had more experience. And I always used to love the big games. The big games were the ones I really look forward to. I was never nervous. I was always it was always anticipation from my point of view. I always felt more engaged in in the game if it was if it was a game of significance, a, a cup final or a semi final. I always felt. Um, I was ready to make my mark in those games, so uh, um, I just had huge anticipation and excitement about playing in the final and going up against a very good team. You have to say, uh, you, you mentioned that they went on to win the European Cup very shortly after our game, so you could understand the quality we were up against. But uh, I was always a, always about testing myself and and testing the opposition whenever I had games of that that magnitude. The United team was Celia, Irwin, Blackmore, Bruce, Phelan, Pallister, Robson, Ince, McClare, Hughes, Sharp, and Barca were Busquets, Nando, Alexanko, Kuman, Ferrer, Bakero, Goikicea, Eusebio, Salinas, Laudrup, and Chiki Bagiristin is obviously at City now. There's top, top names in there. But one thing that struck me about that season, there were 10 players for Manchester United who played 47 games or more in that season. I mean, that's, right. that would just never happen now, would it? No, no, that uh, I think with the, the advent of biggest squads and uh, um, rotation of players, uh, in my day, as I illustrated by that point you just made, it's uh, once you were in the team, as long as you were playing well and you were fitting well, then uh, you kept the shirt. And uh, Clayton played 57 times. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was like. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you just went out there, the pitches were crap, and uh, more often than not, you were covered in mud every time you played, and that was in the summer. So uh, uh, those are those are the big differences. I think it's just the quality of the play, and it's it's. I look back on on the games and I see games. I don't do it very often, only if people remind me and uh, and I need to reacquaint myself. But when I look back at games I've played, and yeah, yeah, struck by the by the the quality of the pitches and. And maybe the pace of the game as well. It was more physical. There was more challenges. There's more confrontations. There's more uh, collisions. Uh, whereas this this day and age, it's it's arguably quicker. It must be quicker, uh, but it's more about interceptions and uh, and anticipation, which uh, I think sometimes takes a little bit of the the element of uh, of uh, I don't know confrontation away from the game, which which I always enjoyed. So uh, it's not quite like it used to be. How would you have fared in the current team, or current top? team in England's Premier League if you were playing for United or, or City or Chelsea or Liverpool well you wouldn't have played for Liverpool but well, well I was known as an aggressive player but I could play as well so yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think I'd be okay um, yeah. well but Barca wouldn't thing... have signed you if you weren't technically no, good would they no exactly right um, I think the difference is all the, the guys playing at the top level now they're, they're all big athletes all six foot guys physical specimens they're constantly in the gym um, I know obviously being the manager now, I understand the programs they're given so uh, um, 
a lot are in there trying to make themselves bigger, faster, stronger. Others are, the, are in there just sculpting their bodies for the most part. But uh, but they are big physical specimens. And, and I used to feel I, I was one of the biggest, stronger guys playing in my day. But uh, in comparison, these uh, modern-day players, uh, uh, we're, not, we're not really comparing cor- correctly or, or in any way, shape or form. You mentioned Les Seely in the dressing room after the game. Mike Phelan was called up for a drug test and couldn't produce the urine sample, so he had to stay there uh, for for two hours. Gary Pallister agreed to stay with him, as did Paulins. The team coach left without them, so you had a big celebration in Rotterdam. Do you remember anything of it? I remember enjoying myself. I don't remember too much of, <laughs> of the latter hours, I have to say, because... Uh, when he was getting on for three, four o'clock in the morning, I think uh, it was time for me to go to bed. My, my good lady made sure I got to bed at some kind of hour. I think I wasn't certainly wasn't the the first to go, but I wasn't the last. So there was a few in worse states than me when we we had to make our way home. But uh, it was a great night, fantastic atmosphere after the game, and uh, yeah, we uh, we really enjoyed ourselves. Uh, I, I I got held up, funny enough. After the game as well, because uh, I always remember, uh, it was Gary Newborn. I think it's, um, people remember him. He used to do yeah. a lot of ITV sport in those days, uh, and he pulled me down down the tunnel just to do a, a quiet interview because it was all oh, mayhem on the pitch, and he, he couldn't get his 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 work done. So I went downstairs, and he couldn't get a lead. lead. He was he couldn't get in contact with his office. So I'm thinking, what am I doing down here? I want to be on the pitch. Celebrating with the fans and and with the with my teammates, so I'm there for ages. What's well, probably only two minutes, but it seemed like forever. So he's still struggling to, to get get the link, and then all of a sudden, uh, Johan Cruyff just walked down the the steps and and walked past us. So he said, "Oh, thanks, Mark," and he chased after Johan Cruyff, and I thought, "Well, thanks a lot." <laughs> <laughs> so he. he He'd taken me down there and, and couldn't even be bothered to, to wait for the link, but uh, never mind. I enjoyed myself after. Sir Alex said that gave the team the confidence to push on then to win the league. W- w- would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And that's on the back of winning the FA Cup the year before. I think successful teams and teams that uh, go on to have a successful period, they have to learn how to win. And winning the FA Cup the year before, winning European Cup winners cup the, the following year that just gives us a, a mentality of winning and I think that allowed us to, to go on and obviously ultimately achieve the Premier League title as well so uh, those early successes and that understanding of what it took to, to be really strong mentally leading into games and getting the job done that was really important for the, the evolution of the team One final question um, when I was 13 I spent two hours making a homemade poster which read Sparky come home and I took it to Old Trafford for a testimonial game you'd been in Barcelona for a year and I got Mm. on the Stretford end early and I held this up and a year later you actually came home I just want you to confirm that you did actually see that poster (laughs) and and that that, that made your mind up when you were deciding to go from Munich back to Old Trafford Yeah of course It it was all down to that poster clearly you've had a huge influence on United more than you'll ever know so that was Mark Hughes and we thank him very much for his time. I worked out he's the only player from that team in Rotterdam and probably throughout the 90s that I've not interviewed. I spoke to him briefly 
about 20 years ago. It was just one of the quirks that I'd not done an interview with him. And he doesn't do much on, on Manchester United. So it was great to hear him talking and talking about Rotterdam and the team of that time. And I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've been busy working on the new issue of United We Stand. We've got a huge interview with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, which we'd had lined up for a long time. And it comes out next Wednesday. We'd like you to support the mag. We've put hundreds of hours into it. Now, we could sell this interview anywhere, but we're, we're not going to do that. What we need people to do is buy the fanzine. If we're going to survive throughout this lockdown or throughout a period when we've got no games to sell the fanzine at, we need people to buy it. That, that's not likes on social media. We need people to buy the mag. And our subscription levels have risen to the highest ever level, which is brilliant. And we've had loads of messages, and it's good that people like United We Stand a lot. But we also need that, because we're still down on the number of copies that we sell. Not only have we not got ground sales, we normally sell copies in newsagents, and they're about 50% down at the moment, because so many of them are closed. We sell a lot of copies, and we have a lot stolen, actually, at the travel points at the big railway stations in Manchester. I think United We Stand's the most stolen magazine. Which obviously doesn't make our life uh, any easier, but we've had to live with that for for a while. Uh, with with COVID, it's obviously been diffi difficult. So we're we're sending them out at the start of next week. It'll be able to be downloaded from Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, and we'll we'll do another mail out um, throughout next week. So if you've not ordered one, we've got lads who normally sell the mag outside the ground on hand, ready to post them out to you. All the instructions are on my Twitter. Now, if you're not on Twitter or you've missed that, because we can't reach everybody, you need to send the money by PayPal. Uh, you need, it's three ninety nine for the UK, and you send it by PayPal to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk, and it's 549 for the Republic of Ireland and Europe, and I think it's 599 for the rest of the world. The postage costs are really expensive and there's not a lot we can do about that. If you're outside of, of the UK, you might want to consider a digital subscription where you can read the full mag uh, on, on a tablet. And There's loads in there. There's 44 pages in there. Honestly, we've never had as much sent in to the fanzine as this month. And maybe that's because people have got more time on their hands and we've actually loads of really good stuff out, but we'll do a summer issue as well. But... Read the, read the Ollie interview in its entirety. Um, I know some people take quotes from it, but that doesn't really help us. We need people to buy the Mac. I've got invoices here for the print bills, and they need paying. And I could have easily spent a lot of my time uh, doing something more financially productive than doing the fanzine. But I think it's important to keep it going at this time. But also, if people buy it, we've been able to send free copies out to frontline health workers and also to United fans over 70 and we're still we can still do that uh, but we just can't lose money on this issue so if you know anyone who deserves a free copy in the UK because we can't afford the postage going to uh, outside the UK uh, just drop us an email to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk and we'll make sure that the right people can get these at a time when they might appreciate well that there are, there are other priorities in life and they might appreciate something to take their mind off. Well, I don't know, working in a UCI 
intensive care unit, they're the type of emails we've been getting off people. People saying, I've been working for 13 hours today and come back and just found it really enjoyable to read the fanzine. So we're not a panacea to any problems by any stretch, but we do what we do. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed the Mark Hughes podcast. We'll be back with, with more podcasts. And if you're interested in Rotterdam, we had a big talk about it on another podcast I contribute to weekly, which is the Talk of the Devils podcast. It's easy to find. It can be downloaded from all usual outlets. I've done that with Laurie Whitwell and, and Carl Anker. And I must also thank Aidy. Uh, not that he'd ever asked for any thanks, but he helped produce this. So hopefully the, the sound sounded noticeably better than when I'm in charge. So, Aidy, I know you're a Manchester lad and a United fan, but we're joining your professional capacity today. And I really appreciate you doing that at short notice. Until next time, keep your heads up. Goodbye.